Okay, please stand for the reading of the word. Proverbs 1, 1 through 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Good morning, everybody. My name is Pastor JD. I'm the lead pastor here at Echo. And, and if I haven't met you, I would love to get the chance to do so, hopefully after service is over. Um, let me just say a word before we jump into our text this morning about our catechism. Uh, our catechism is, uh, as was as Jason uh, well explained, uh, is a series of questions and answers. And really one of the things we aim to do with that catechism is to work through the gospel. Uh, it's an opportunity for us week by week to sort of take bit by bit of the gospel and to and to work on that. And so sometimes we have a catechism up here that is all about God's love for us and and his, uh, his grace and his mercy. But sometimes we have up here questions that relate to uh, that part of the gospel, which identifies not only us as sinners, but it also identifies that the gospel itself is a life and death. It is a eternal decision of will we trust Christ and will we claim him as our righteousness or will we be standing before God in judgment one day with simply our actions and our acts, which we, the Bible tells us, we will be judged for because none of us lives up to God's righteous standard. So as we work through the gospel, just so you understand the context for that last one, as we work through the gospel, there is, uh, there are parts where we get into God's grace and there are parts where we look at, wow, this is why we need God's grace because of his justice. And we're actually gonna talk about that in our text a little bit as we talk about the fear of the Lord in just a little bit. So here's what I wanna do. I'd like to open in prayer uh, together. And then uh, I would like to, if I can get my sermon oriented right, I would like to jump into uh, the text, into our sermon today. Father, we love you. We know that you are a God who is holy. We sang about your holiness already this morning. We sang about who you are and the worlds that you have made. We've also um, prayed and sung about our fallenness before you, that we do not measure up, God. We've confessed even what we know to be our sins. Lord, we know that there are sins in our hearts that we haven't even confessed, things that we might even not be aware of in the surface of our minds, ways in which we fall short. And we have also had Jason come up and pray the amazing gospel that you on the cross for all who have put their trust in you took their place and you died in our place. And so we're thankful for that, Lord. And now as we open up this Old Testament book, this book of Proverbs, which is about wisdom, which is often difficult for us to even figure out how does that relate to the gospel? God, I pray you would open our eyes to see. I pray your Holy Spirit would be present with us as we talk about what true wisdom is, what true fear is of you. And so help us, God, to see, help us to apply, help us to take your word and let it sink down deep into the depths of our core and our soul that we might be changed by it. 
So Holy Spirit, come and meet us as we spend some time in your word this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are starting a new series this, uh, this morning, and it's going to last about seven weeks, and it's going to be on the book of Proverbs. Now, Proverbs is many, many chapters long. It's way more than seven chapters long, and there's no way we're going to work through the entire book. And we're not going to do it in an expositional fashion. Now, what that means is we're not going to do it verse by verse, starting in one verse and then picking up where we, wherever we left off. Proverbs is one of those books in the Bible that is sort of meant to be read topically, if you know what I mean. It's, it's got topics in it that sort of come up from time to time. And what we're going to focus on over the next seven weeks is we're going to pick out seven topics and six topics after this week that are that are that we're going to hit on and we're going to look at what the book of proverbs specifically has to say about those particular topics so that's where we're going um now a proverb is something that we all are familiar with it's something that we probably had a grandma at some point share with us uh, you know a particular proverb for instance if i were to say to you a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, right? You guys can finish that, right? Don't count your chickens before they... Okay, so these are proverbs, right? These are things that someone told us somewhere, and, and it has a meaning, right? There's there's something behind there that's sort of generally true. Um, I, I heard one from a, a friend uh, recently. He He's African. He's from Ghana, and he's actually been up here to preach. His name's Ebi, Ebenezer. He's been up here to preach several times at Echo. And, and, uh, and, I, and I know he's always sharing with, with me his proverbs that he has from, from Ghana, from his tribe. And so I said, Ebi, give me a, a couple of Ghanaian proverbs. And so, so he gave me one that I, that I thought was interesting. He said, character uh, is like pregnancy. It cannot be hidden for very long. So that's a, that's, a, that's a Ghanaian proverb there for you. I thought that one was interesting that he shared. Um, now, in each of these, there's a lesson, right? There's something there. There's sort of this, this generalized principle that's true, okay? But here's something that I'm going to hit on several times this morning. They're not absolute. They're not absolute lessons. In other words, these are lessons that generally are true, you can find counterexamples, okay? So there are times where the, the proverb is not true. Now, now that causes us, and it's, this is why I'm going to hit on it so much, that causes us to go, wait a minute, is the word of God not true? If I can find an example where this particular proverb isn't true, does that mean that the word of God is not true? And the answer is no. The proverb is much like the proverbs your grandma told you. They're generally true, and they're meant to be generally true. Okay, It's meant to be a guide for living. Okay? And it does not mean that that will always come true in sort of a, a prophetic way. Okay, so there's a generalized truth that we're supposed to receive as the hearer. Um, but what about in the Bible? What are Proverbs in the Bible now? If, if these are the things that our grandmothers have told us, okay, that we generally have heard and then generally are true, what is different about a biblical proverb? And that's what I want to get into right now before we jump into our text. A proverb in the Bible is telling you what wisdom is in certain situations. So in that way, it's similar. What is wisdom? What's the right thing to do here? But wisdom in the Bible tells us what God is like, okay? So when you're looking at wisdom according to scripture, what you're really looking at and really understanding is what is God like in his character? How would God act if he were in this particular situation? 
Okay, so that's different than the wisdom of the world. The wisdom of the world might say something that's true and good, but it would say something like, well, this is just what people do. This is just a good way to live. This is just how to you know, care for the people that are around you generally. The wisdom in the Bible says, this is what God is like. Okay, that's a huge difference. So wisdom is his character applied to the specific circumstances of life. So when you live according to wisdom, you are reflecting how God would act in that particular situation. For those of you that have been with us the last couple of weeks, we were focusing on the family for the last four or five weeks together. And, and the point of that entire sermon series was that we are reflectors of God to the world. So we talked about husbands being reflectors and wives being reflectors. And we talked about the marriage union itself being a reflector of, of who God is. And, and, and in line with that idea of reflection now comes this next series where we're going to hit on particular areas of life where what's the, what's the goal? What's the point of all of this? To reflect who God is to the world in the way that we live. When we live according to wisdom, we're reflecting to the world, this is what God is like. And that's our job because if you don't know, every human being is an image bearer of God. And you can either do that well or you can do that poorly. That doesn't change the fact that we are image bearers of God. So we are to reflect who God is as image bearers. And that's our point this morning. If you're taking notes, here's our main point before we jump into the text. Wisdom means imaging God rightly in his character and the way he governs the world. Okay, book of Proverbs, what is wisdom? And here's the answer. Wisdom means imaging God rightly in his character and the way he governs the world. So for the next six or seven weeks, here are the questions that we're going to ask. We're going to ask how is wisdom displayed in each topic that we're going to be covering? And then we're going to ask how does wisdom point to the one, capital O, one, who embodies all wisdom? Okay, how is wisdom displayed here? How does it point to the one who is all wisdom? Which I'm gonna give it away the answer. It's Jesus Christ, who is the one who is all wisdom. The perfect character of God, the perfect imager of God because he is God himself. All right, so now I'm gonna hit on this one more time before we jump in. Remember that Proverbs are general truths, general truths. What do I mean by that? Look at Proverbs 12, 21 with me for just a second. Proverbs 12, 21, no ill befalls the righteous, but the wicked are filled with trouble. Is that true? Is that true? Always? Is that always true? No, it's not always true. The point is that doing the right thing will generally keep you out of harm's way. Is that true? Yeah. So, Generally, doing what is right will avoid all kinds of pitfalls and difficulties and problems in this life. You can say that to your grandchildren one day, okay? But the God who wrote the Bible knows very well, doesn't he, that there are ills that befall righteous people. In fact, the Bible is about the most righteous person who ever walked this earth, Jesus Christ, God made flesh, and the ills that befell him. 
His righteousness didn't lead to that sort of peaceful life. His perfect righteousness led to a group of of men deciding that they wanted to put him on a cross. So we know that's not true in every circumstance. And yet it's in the Bible because it is true generally. The point is to say that things that will go generally well for you if you live this way. So understand how we as Christians are to approach a book like this. We're to approach it as general truths. So for our first week, I want us to get started by looking, I want us to to look at Proverbs 1, 1 through 7 together. And I want us to sort of identify where this book is going and and what it's saying specifically about wisdom. So let's look at Proverbs 1, the first three verses together. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive insights and equity. Okay, we're going to pause right there. So let's start by understanding a little bit about how Proverbs was put together. Notice that first line right there. Do you see that first line? The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. So right at the beginning of this title line here, we see that that it's listed, it's titled as the Proverbs of Solomon. And it's titled that because the Proverbs of Solomon make up most of the book. You can find most of the book was written or or, or sort of collected by these particular uh, uh, Proverbs that Solomon wrote, okay? But we know that Proverbs is a collection It's a collection of wise sayings. For instance, Proverbs 24, 23, these also are sayings of the wise. Who's the author? We don't know. They're wise sayings. So somebody came along and put this together, right? So Solomon isn't listed here amongst the sayings of the wise. They're probably other people, okay? How about this? We also know that in Proverbs 30, verse 1, it says the words of Augur, son of Jacka. So there's another guy who's also writing Proverbs. And then in 31.1, the words of King Lemuel. All right, so we've got other people who are contributing to this. So if this just isn't Solomon's book, who put it together? And how do we have this book as we have it right now in our laps today? We have a clue from Proverbs 25.1. Let's look at what Proverbs 25.1 says. These also are Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied. Okay, now if you aren't aware of who Hezekiah is, he was a king that came about 250 years after Solomon, and it was specifically at his direction, it seems, that these Proverbs were gathered together. So if you want to know how did the book of Proverbs get to us, the most likely scenario is to listen to the Bible itself and realize that some men around Hezekiah's time put together this list of Proverbs. Now, we're used to seeing God sort of inspire a human author, right? Are we So if we're talking about the Apostle Paul and we say, man, the Apostle Paul wrote verses of the Bible. He wrote books of the Bible. What we're typically saying is that the Holy Spirit inspired Paul in that moment to write, say, the book of Ephesians or the book of Romans. And we're used to going, yeah, that's how it happened. Well, what the book of Proverbs is telling us as well happens is that God inspires compilers to compile the right words that he wants for us, 
All right. So as we trust that the book of Proverbs is God's word, we're also trusting that he was able to enable these compilers to come together and to sort of bring in the right words that he would have for us. Okay. And it brings us back to the same trust that we have always put as Christians into the word of God and into our belief about the word of God. God knows how to get his word to us. God knows how to get his word to us. So as we look at and we think about Proverbs is this collection of sayings, understand that God is in that, he has inspired that, and he has determined and gotten his word to us in a way in which we can understand him and his ways. And so as we move on now, there are, um, let's look now at the rest of that, of that verse Proverbs 1, verses 2 through 3, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight and to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. Now, here's the purpose of the book. So here we are right at the very beginning with a purpose for the book of Proverbs. And it says that we might know wisdom and instruction and also understand Words of insight. Now, I want you to notice that there's, there's verse two, and then there's something different happening in verse three. Verse two is about what we know. It's primarily about bringing in and understanding information, if you will. That's verse two. Verse three, if you'll notice, is applying that information in the way that we actually live our lives. Okay, so verse two is to understand it. Verse three is to apply it. Do you see how in verse three, it says to receive instruction in, in what now? In wise dealing. That's my life. That's how I actually live my life, okay? In righteousness. Well, that's, that's the kind of righteous things that I am called to do for other people, right? Justice, well, that has to do with other people. Equity, that has to do with right dealings with other people. So all of a sudden, it's now, the emphasis in verse three is on what I do with the wisdom, that I've received. And so here's a, a point if you're taking notes here, wisdom is about hearing God's truth and then living God's truth. So verse two is, and, and verse three together are telling us that we need to hear rightly. And then verse three is telling us that we need to live rightly out of what we have heard. So hearing, okay, hearing here, as, as I've just said, it has to do with a mental exercise of understanding. And it asks, do I know the right thing to do? That's the first question we have to ask. Have I heard the word correctly so that I understand what God is calling me to do? And doing is exactly what it sounds like. It asks, will I put into action what I've actually heard? So this idea of hearing and doing, just so you all understand, is all over the Old Testament. It is everywhere in the Old Testament. For instance, 47 times in the Old Testament, the words hear and do are sitting right near each other, okay? Right within a couple of words of, of each other. For instance, Deuteronomy 6, 3. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you. That's referring to God's law. Hear the law, Israel. Hear it to obey it. 
So there's two commands there when it comes to God's words to us, they're to hear them rightly and then to obey them and to live them rightly, right? Jeremiah 11, 6, and the Lord said to me, proclaim all these words in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, hear the words of this covenant and do them. So constantly in the Old Testament, we are being told to hear and to do. Hear it rightly and then actually live it rightly. Okay, now, if that's true, then here's what I wanna spend the rest of our time on this morning. How do we mess up then when it comes to hearing and doing? What are ways that we go astray when it comes to this simple two commands sitting right next to each other to hear God's word and then to actually do what we hear, okay? We go wrong in two ways, I think, okay? And, and it's gonna be obvious what they are. We fail to hear what God's word says. That's one way we can go wrong. Number two, we fail to do what we hear. Now let's look at the two of those together. First, we may refuse to hear what God's word says, okay? There is a kind of person I doubt that kind of person is in this room or hearing my voice because you're hearing, you're listening, you're, you're here for a reason. So I'm kind of preaching to the choir here. So bear with me for a second, okay? There is a kind of person that says, I don't want to hear it. Get it away from me. I don't wanna be near the word of God. Listen to Proverbs 1, just a little further down in the chapter verses 24 to 27. And I'm going to warn you, this is harsh. Okay, this is harsh. Because I have called, this is wisdom now. Wisdom has just said, I am called what God's word says. Okay. And wisdom says this, because I called and you refused to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, listen to this, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Now that, that if, you, if you're shocked by that, guess what? that's exactly the effect that you are supposed to have when the Bible, when God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, writes something like that. That's shocking. What do you mean wisdom who's supposed to be this embodiment of who God is? And maybe we could even say, is Jesus Christ, right? That he embodies all wisdom. He laughs at our calamity. But here's the point. I think here's the point of that passage. A life that does not listen to God's word ends in judgment, right? We, we, just, we just had a really, really harsh sounding um, catechism up here, didn't we? About God's judgment. This is true. God's judgment is real. We're gonna come back to it. We're gonna talk about it in just a second. But the very beginning of Proverbs in the very first chapter is this warning. Don't be one of those that says, I don't want to listen to you. I'm going to walk away from God's word. I don't want to hear it. 
Don't be one of those that, as Romans chapter one says, that they, they in a sense, hear it, but then they suppress the truth of God. They push it down. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to know it. I don't want to see it. And Paul says in, the, in Romans chapter one that they can see it all around them. They can see God's ways. They can see God's wisdom. They can see who he is in the very nature that's around them. And they say, I don't see it. I'm blind to it. And much like the book of Proverbs, Paul says in the book of Romans that those who say, we don't see it, we're blind to it and push it down and suppress it, they will stand before God in judgment. A life that does not listen to God's word ends in judgment. This is not innocent ignorance. You understand? This is not, I I really didn't know. This is, I do know. And I don't want to hear it. I don't want it in my life. And many people who refuse to listen to God hope that one day they will get off the hook by saying to God in the judgment, God, I never knew. And we know from God's word that he will will say you did know. And Romans chapter two even says that their own conscience will actually speak in that moment will say, you did know. A Christian though, a Christian is a person who has put their trust in Christ and listens to him. They may have momentary lapses. We know that. We know that Christians go on in, in, in sin. In other words, their there's sin happens to Christians, okay? But they are people who hear the word of God. They've put their trust in Christ. The Holy Spirit now enables a, a different kind of hearing. They have ears now sort of to hear what God is saying. And so one of the ways we could define a Christian is one who hears, one who comes to the word and desires the word and longs for it. And a Christian will seek out God's word. A Christian man or woman can be found reading God's word and asking for help in understanding it. They seek wisdom from God in prayer. In all of this, they're helped by the Holy Spirit. That's the life of a Christian, okay? I'm not legalistically saying that you must read the Bible this many times or pray this many times. What I'm saying is there is a general desire in the heart of a Christian to go to God's word and say, God, I wanna hear you. I want to hear you. I want to, I want to speak to you in prayer and I want to listen to you in what your word says. So be very, very careful if you claim to be a Christian this morning, but have no love for this. Be very careful and confess that and share that and say, I, I, I'm struggling here. What, what is, what's going on? Because there is something off if you're a Christian and you have no desire to come to God's word. Okay. We fail to do, this is the second now, we fail to do what we hear. Not only do we, human beings can fail to hear, but human beings can also fail to do what they hear, all right? And that's where we're gonna be for the rest of our time together. We may hear the word, I'm gonna put that in quotes. We may hear the word and we may not actually do it. There's a reason I'm putting that in quotes. Listen to Ezekiel 33, verses 30 to 31. By the way, God in Ezekiel calls Ezekiel the son of man. So don't be confused by that. So he's talking to Ezekiel here when he says, son of man. He says, as for you, son of man, 
your people who talk together about you, the walls and at the doors of the houses, say to one another, each to his brother, come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. And they come to you as people come. And they sit before you as my people. And they hear what you say, but they will not do it. I think this is this passage is especially pertinent for us in the 21st century church today. Because much like in Ezekiel's day, we churches across this country and across this world are places where usually somebody stands up and opens up the Bible. You know, we hope that this is the case in every church. Somebody stands up and opens up the Bible and preaches from the Bible. And then a bunch of other people come and they sit on a Sunday morning usually and they gather around and they say, come on, let's go hear that guy preach the Bible. And you can just see in this text and it says, and they come to you as people come and they sit before you. Notice the words as my people. I don't think God is going to say this is, by the way, this is in the context of judgment here. God is judging the people in the book of Ezekiel. And I think the words, as my people, could be as if they are my people. So there's this whole group of people, God says, that come and they sit and they listen to you preach my word. But what does it say in the end there? Those last words, but they will not do it. Oh, we, every one of us, including the one standing up here trying to preach this morning, We need to be so aware of those words right there because how prone are our hearts, if you'll be honest for a second, to hear something and walk away and then just say, I'm just forgetting what I just heard or to hear something and go, that doesn't apply to me or to just hear something and say, no, not doing it. Listen to the James, how James says this. But be doers of the word. This is James 1, 22 to 25. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. In other words, if you're just a hearer, you're self-deceived. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. There's a promise from the New Testament for us for doing what the word says. I notice that the main main problem here that James identifies is sort of this, this sort of forgetfulness. Do you see that? Like he walks away and he forgets or we walk away and we forget, like how easy is it to go from from a Sunday morning where the word is taught or from your quiet time in the morning to just, I'm getting on with my day. I'm going on with whatever else I'm doing. Not having carefully thought through the fact that there was a word from the Lord for you that day. There was something to be obeyed. There was something in your mind about God that he was saying, I want you to see this about me. I want you to focus on this, but we walk away. And we forget. And I do it too, friends. And this is something that we have to ever be vigilant about in the Christian life. So true wisdom, back to our idea this morning, true wisdom is hearing what the truth of God is and then living out that truth. A Christian 
hears wisdom, so it comes into their ears, and then they act wisely out of what they hear. But why do we fail to do what God's word says? I'm going to suggest two reasons at the very end here. I'm just going to suggest two reasons. Number one, we don't hear with humility. Okay? We don't hear with humility. Look at Proverbs 1.4 for a minute. This is the next verse. And I want you to hear how Proverbs 1.4 is conceiving of this whole idea of gaining wisdom. Listen to what it says. To give prudence to the simple. So wisdom, the point of Proverbs, is to give prudence to the simple. Knowledge and discretion to the youth. Who's wisdom for? Who's wisdom for according to Proverbs 1.4? It's for the simple and the youth. And let me tell you, neither of those are good things in, by society's standards. Neither of those are things that we're aiming for, especially in Old Testament Bible times. You didn't want to be a youth. In fact, you actually wanted to have gray hairs. I'm excited about that. I'm excited that my Old Testament says it's good to have gray hair because I know they're coming for me, right? So you don't want to be a youth. And if you don't know what simple means, it kind of means dumb, Okay. You don't want to be simple. You generally didn't want to be those things. What is Proverbs 1-4 saying? And it's for the young. Young-minded, the immature. Oh, man. What does that mean then for me? If I'm supposed to be a seeker of wisdom, what then must I do in order to truly get wisdom? When you learn a trade from a professional, so I'm just going to maybe take us back a few hundred years to back when this was a really like a thing that everybody did, right? If you learned from a professional who had worked all their lives as, I don't know, a blacksmith or something, and you were going to come in and learn that, that, that professional's trade, okay? You were going to be a journeyman or whatever the word is, a trainee under that person. You don't go to that person saying, I know what you know. I know everything, you know? You don't go to that person and say that. There is a humility, is there not, that we approach a person who is a master at the skill that we wanna learn. There's a humility we approach them with. We ask questions. We listen to their response. There's generally this sense of, I'm not on the same level of you, as you in this particular area, okay? That's not a statement about your self-worth. That's a statement about your particular knowledge of that particular area of life. And we all know this because if we don't go with that humility, if we don't go with that, then that person says, I don't want to teach you. Get out of my shop. But we know that if we're going to learn something, we have to approach it as one who does not know first. And then once we're one who does not know, we can learn, we can grow. The Christian life is no different, friends. Some of you may have come into the Christian life and, and, you, and you feel this, I don't know, maybe you're around people that like know their Bibles. And, and, and so you go, oh man, everybody around me seems to know their Bibles. They seem to know about God. And so rather than saying, I'm gonna ask a bunch of questions and I'm gonna present myself as one who doesn't know, what, what do we do? Oh, well, I'm just going to pretend like I know all those things that everybody else knows. 
And then no one teaches you because they don't know that you really don't know. And then you sort of stay, you know, in your knowledge of God and in your growth and wisdom and in your sanctification, maybe you just sort of stay flatlining because you don't want to humble yourself and say, I don't know. I don't know the answer to this. I know this is a book that probably most people should have read at some point, but I never did. Could you help me? Could you teach me what that book says? I think that one of the reasons we fail to do what God's word says is because we aren't actually being humble enough to come to God with, in, in, in a way that says, God, I'm humble, help me, teach me. And so we, we approach it with pride and then we don't do what he says because we're coming at him with pride. It's the wise who see themselves as simple. Do you realize that? It's the wise who see themselves as youths who need to learn. Proverbs 1.5, let the wise hear. The same ones who said it was for sim the simple and for the youths, let the wise hear and increase in learning and that let the one who understands obtain guidance. We need to humble ourselves. That's one of the reasons that we may not be hearing the word of God and growing in the word of God like we're supposed to. Just say, I don't know. I need to grow in this area. How about number two? We don't hear with fear. We don't hear with fear. Look at Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And I think we're all caught on the same thing there in that verse. What on earth is fear? And what does it have to do with my relationship with God? We have a hard time with that word, don't we? For some of us, maybe there's really good reason why we have a hard time with that word. Part of the problem is that there's different kinds of fear, right? There's the kinds of fear that my, my, my children are afraid of monsters in their closet. Like every, time, every night, dad, shut the closet door right? They're afraid of a monster that's in their imagination is inside that dark place inside of that closet. That's a certain kind of fear, okay? The boogeyman, right? There's also the kind of fear that a physically abused child might experience when they think of their father, right? That's, that's a kind of fear, and, and those things are, those fears are a little bit different, I and mean, they're both called fear in English, Right? And is that kind of the kind of fear we're talking about here? God as the sort of the angry, maybe abusive father. We got to have that kind of fear for God? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Here's, here's what we're going to, we're going to talk about this, by the way, in coming weeks, we're going to do a whole sermon on fear, on the fear of God in the book of Proverbs. All right. But for, for now, hear, hear this. And if you're taking notes, fear in the Bible sees the danger of God's wrath and seeks to avoid it at all cost. All right? Fear in the Bible sees the danger of God's wrath and seeks to avoid it at all cost. Is there something to fear in God? Just and ask yourself that question. Is there something to fear in God? And I would hope that the answer would be yes. What is it that we fear?
we fear being wrong before him in a judgment sense. We fear standing before God, having been a rebel to God for the whole of our lives. And if that is what you fear, that is exactly what you should fear as a Christian. Because you know what the next step to fearing God in that way is? Asking the question, is there a way out of that? Is there some way that I don't have to stand before God, just naked in my sins before a holy and perfect and righteous God who has wrath for sin? Is there something I can do? And for many in this world, when we preach the gospel of the love of Christ who took the sins of his people and bore it on the cross and, and, and gave the righteousness that was his to his people so that there was this great exchange that took place so that my sin went to him and, and, and his righteousness went to me. When we proclaim that to the world, you know, most of the time what the world hears. So what? What's the big deal? about that. Who cares that Jesus took my sin? Do you know why? There's zero fear. There's absolutely zero fear that God is going to do anything to them eternally because of their sin. And then churches decide, I'm sorry, I'm just going to hit on this for just a second. And then churches decide that they want to fill more of their pews. So they say, well, let's downplay that whole sin and judgment piece. Let's, let's, let's lower that in our preaching schedule. You know, we'll drop it down to just minimalize it. And you think you're bringing more people into the kingdom. You think you've got people attending who now love the Lord and understand the gospel and get it. But what you've done is the opposite, right? You have decreased the fear. So they continue to come and say, why do I need Jesus? I don't get it. Why do you people keep singing about Jesus and him dying? Friends, the point is this. The gospel doesn't work without fear. God, as a wrathful, vengeant God who comes after all sin that is not dealt with, is the God of the Bible. Do I like calling him wrathful? No, I, I would call him loving, which is, well, how is he loving and wrathful at the same time? He sent his son right? He sent his son that he would say all who would trust in him can have their sins forgiven so that I look upon them and I just see the righteousness of my son. But does it do any good to say, I'm going to just do away with God's wrath? It actually makes the gospel unexplainable and inconceivable. Nobody can understand it now. So friends, the fear of God is what every single one of you, if you're a Christian in this room, experienced when you ran to Jesus. I don't mean that you were afraid of him as, a, as an abusive father. I mean that you understood in that moment because your eyes were opened, the, how the wrath of God works when it comes to sin and you understood yourself to be a sinner and you fled to Christ. And as soon as you embraced Christ by faith, 
Guess what happened to that fear? That fear was completely consumed into who Christ is so that now we can stand before God, still fearing that that's true of God, right? Never changing his character in our minds, but understanding that it is only because of that of which Jesus did on the cross that we can now stand before God with no fear. Part of his family, his children, whom he loves. That's what it means to be a Christian. It means to run to the only one who can save us from the fearful and awful wrath of God. Okay, so we can, we can do this though. We can hear and not fear because the book of Proverbs in chapter one, verse seven says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It doesn't even start until there's fear. What does that fear look like? God is holy. He says what he means. His word is powerful. When he calls us to obey, we do it out of love, but we also know there's a God that just, he is holiness itself. He is within himself, perfect righteousness. And I want to walk in his ways, but he's also big. And it causes me every day to go back to Christ, to go back to the truth of the gospel, to go back to who I am in him because I never lose the fact that God is big. And in some ways his wrath and his holiness are scary, but I can run to Christ every day and be found in him. Then we will see the value of Jesus' saving work on the cross. Yes, Christians, we will see that value. We will live in light of that gospel every day of our lives as we continue to fear. But here's what it says. Wisdom begins with fear. That is the beginning of wisdom. So we have looked so far at what wisdom is. We've looked at the first seven verses of Proverbs. What we will do over the next few weeks now is we will take topic by topic and we will look at how each and every one of those topics points to what wisdom is and then points to the one who is ultimately all embodiment of wisdom, Jesus Christ himself. So that's where we're going over the next six weeks. And I, I invite you all to come back and to join us as we do this to finish up the summer together. Let's pray. Father, we ask now that you would meet us with your Holy Spirit, especially as we consider a difficult concept for us, and that is to fear you. And what does that really mean? And how do we get the right emotions in our hearts? And God, I pray that we would be listeners to your word. We would understand what your word says about you, and we would understand in its right context what fear is. And then by the power of your Holy Spirit, may we begin in greater, greater amounts to obey what your word is telling us to do. Help us to obey, help us to live in light of what your word says. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen, amen.